So uh, I'd like to keep this all fairly conversational if possible rather than me just talking at the few of you here. It would be good to jump in any time with any questions. Please don't wait for a pause. I won't be offended. Um, but so I'm basically just going to go through a chronological sort of slideshow of my career over the last sort of about 20 years, from starting from about 1994, I think, um, because it's on the screen now. Um, so I, it's been a while since I've done one of these talks, but it, what I normally start with this piece, which was a sort of the first um, large sort of ambitious outdoor scale project I did for a, uh, an exhibition that used to be down at Gasworks Park in in the uh, middle part of the uh, Gasworks Stop Exhibition. So this, I believe, was in um, 1994. Rob, can you take questions? Yes. Yep. Yeah. You got something? In every, in every instance, I'm always fascinated to know why that particular material and why that particular scale of object. And I don't have a sense from this image yeah. Well, it's about um, 2.4, uh, yeah, about 2.4 metres high, I think, and in total about eight metres long, I think. Made up of um, timber flitches. It was sort of offcuts from a milling process, and sort of the idea was to use that found material and put them together in a kind of rough workmanlike way to create this sort of simple form. Um, I sort of started out as an artist sort of uh, making more or less pictorial representations of landscape but out of 3D objects. And so this was a kind of a progression from those slightly earlier works into a, into a sort of bigger and still with a sort of element of landscape in the horizon line sort of character of it but then also introducing this sort of empty cornucopia concept to it. Um, yeah. But, um... So, can I, sorry, yeah, no, go on. No, more, please, more questions. Yeah. Yeah. These particular features scale Scale, material, and technique, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't tell from this photograph whether this is foreshortened, so that the height comes because the base is flat and the form projects upwards, or exactly what's happening there. Well, the, the front opening is like a circle. Alright, oh, okay. And then it's like a, a curved funnel shape that tapers back to it, like a tile. Also, hewn together with dowels and, and uh, sort of chainsaw finish. Um, so yeah, you know, it's big enough that I could stand inside and it would be way over my head and you can sort of walk down into a sort of narrowing tunnel like uh, uh, So this early stage is 94 this one, yeah. You're drawing on um, yep, and that's, yes. But scaled in such a way that you can form interactive and Yeah. 
mostly up until this point I'd been working more on a, on a scale that was more related to things you could hold in your hands or smaller things generally. Um, but at, just at this stage I found this material and thing, things to do with it and it was also, I was doing a postgraduate VCA and was sort of challenged to uh, extend my, my range a little bit and um, yeah, I found it exciting to be starting to work on that scale that related to a, to the body in a, in a, in a more... So Yeah, more or less, yeah. yeah. Sort of just a, a point of realisation that it was possible to do larger ambitious things and, and make it work. Um, so we'll skip through. This is This is probably an example of the smaller scale. I think it's about 20 centimetres long, so it's sort of certainly something you can hold in your hands. And it was a combination of um, being interested in the landscape and agriculture and, and also the techniques and machinery of agriculture. So um, it's the horizon lines are from landscape and the sort of grooving sort of it was meant to represent the furrows of the plough paddock. So I'm from a rural background and that, that was sort of uh, large in my mind and my connection to the land was that sort of agriculture. But also um, in terms of the techniques that I've started using then and carry on using today, I sort of developed a fascination I think with practical things, tools and things that have been handmade and, or homemade and I was interested in the way of making those with basic tools to do certain tasks. Um, so it became a lot about the sort of the rough craft, rough craft of making things like that. Not in a, in a high um, craft way, but just the workmanlike way of making things for a purpose. Um, and that's still that element of craft and the ways of making things is still sort of pretty fundamental uh, all these years later. Uh, so these were from a show I think in, it was in 1995 um, called Agricultural Little Artists Run Space. Uh, yeah, really working with those ideas of um, agriculture and landscape and the techniques of this sort of rough carving with wood chisels. Uh, that one I think is about a metre and a half long or something, quite sort of fecund. Oops. Uh, this isn't from the same show, it was another fairly ambitious thing. I think it was about seven metres high at the wall or something, and sort of. Mm, maybe not that high, about six probably. And stuck out the, on the floor this, the full length of this sort of room in, the, in this um, space, which was probably about eight metres, I think. Um, and that's all sort of hand carved with chisels and grooves were all sort of laboriously carved. And it was a lot about the concept of spending all that labour on something and trying to create these straight lines. And in this case, the illusion 
illusion and illusion was that it was something that had been made straight that had failed and bent by having been run up against the wall. Similar works for, from the sort of next series, I think, which was um, a commercial gallery show I'd done in '96, but um, becoming more interested in that using the solid material of wood and seeing how the um, effect of making things look bent or swollen and, and how the using the geometry of the carved grooves could sort of uh, tell, describe the form and, and say different things about the, the way the form was working. Are you consciously not finishing any of those works with any of the surfaces? Uh, well, I was consciously not painting. They're, they're all sort of... Um, bare wood that's just bleached to take out some of the um, contrast of the grain. But yeah, it's definitely meant to be a sort of raw finish. Um, just to, as a kind of separation to make them as, as sort of objects in themselves rather than sort of gallery art objects, if you, if you get that sort of distinction. Um, and also, that um, sort of slightly weather-worn timber feel I, I, I find attractive anyway. So, uh, so these are all quite small handheld things. This size is about sort of 20 centimeters high. They sort of have that Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when I travel overseas, a lot of when I go to the museums and uh, and high culture uh, places as well, but uh, I, I do love the folk museum and the sort of artefacts of uh, often not fully understandable, identifiable function, but just uh, it's interesting objects. Um, I think that one's about five metres high, so that that was called um, tragedy. This is a sort of Similar concept of this sort of form that was may have been made straight and then sort of pointing vertically and then curved back on itself and ended up pointing back to the floor. So it's a sort of U-shaped, tall U-shaped thing heading back to the floor. Uh, these were the next group of work. I think I had a trip to Europe in between that, that last group and this group, so I'd sort of been exposed to. Uh, some different art and design objects and um, started to introduce some different patterns and, and uh, kinds of forms. But still uh, layered over an interest in landscape and the, and the natural world. There was a suite of, um, sort of cone shapes. This whole exhibition was sort of variations on a, on a, on a cone form. Uh, How important is this shadow and uh, you optimise the throw of the Yeah, in a gallery situation, I always find that pretty important. I mean, you can't always control it other places, but um, certainly with my work for photography and for exhibition, I try to have a bit of drama in the, in the lighting. Um, well, it enhances, it enhances the reading of the, whatever kind of surface you've yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it totally helps to, to describe the surface and to 
and to describe the form, and, and also gives you helps because I'm concerned with the way things relate to the wall or if they're on the wall or the floor and that the negative space is created so that the, the shadows can also help sort of um, highlight that. So these were sort of all called things relating to animal forms. The, the last one was a um, uh, snake and this one was a uh, neck and ruffled neck which so sort of fairly abstract representations of and non-specific but of sort of birds or scar feathers or scales and that kind of thing. Uh, that is a taller work that's sort of about three metres high I think so bleached out that side. Uh, I think in about this is about 1999 or 98, um, was commissioned to make a piece for uh, stock back on Herring Island. Um, it was commissioned as part of one of the, was the Melbourne Festival of that year. Uh, that's about, I think, about six metres long or so by possibly seven, um, about a metre high. So it's mainly carved out of one big log. Um, yeah, that's more of the sort of natural, slightly ambiguous forms could be sort of plant form, animal form, and also keeping that horizontal sort of landscape reference as well. So, with that one, uh, Robert, you say it's carved from a log. Yep. Sort of, how do you get that shape? What sort of tools do you use? Talk about that process. Yeah, um, uh, chainsaws. I use a lot of chainsaws for sort of getting the bulk of the form right and I, after some years of practice I can get fairly refined forms and finishes uh, with a chainsaw so then the, the surfaces are then all finished with um, hand chisels, mallet and chisels uh, and either sort of finishes usually just a sort of whitewash to, to even out the surface colour. Um, for the larger works, I mainly use um, cypress, Monterey cypress, because mainly because there's, it's fairly available. It's always easy to get fairly big logs, and um, it sort of stays fairly stable as it dries out. To um, tend to get massive cracks opening up in it. So solid, solid piece. Yeah, that's that a blo- solid, solid log. Yeah, solid. mostly a few. Patches and things added in to fill out. Uh, that came from a, a guy down in the Morning Peninsula who does a lot of landscaping work and has to take out a lot of those trees from time to time, so he had a kind of stockpile of logs. And it's usually on the other side as well. Yeah, yeah, but all over. Uh, this kind of represents the next body of work. Um, made in the uh, year 2000. Um, so introducing some colour to the finishes and also varying the ranges of the patterns I'm, I'm using over the, over the forms. Um, and also to a large extent abandoning the, the horizontal form that I've been using up to this point. So th- this is a suite of um, uh, more vertical works. Uh, sort of 
trying to represent different uh, aspects of, of sort of art and design history. So I think I've got a detail. So things like uh, this, this curly form that I'd seen in um, uh, different historical sculptures to either represent hair or water or, or wind or something like that. So ranging from sort of uh, German Gothic stuff to Assyrian and, and I, I think I've been in London for a while and spent a lot of time in the, in the V&A and enjoyed sort of looking at all the different patterns and textures and, and a lot of things. Kind of like an Assyrian beard, quite large, about a metre and a half long, hanging on the wall. Um, that's another, that, that's a sort of small scale one, about 15 centimetres high maybe, and playing with the idea of using those forms over a sort of modernist, uh, minimal form. Um, I think this was the first uh, Helen Negria Sculpture Prize out at Werribee. Uh, it was shortly before and, and made this piece. It's about, about three metres long, with three good seasons. Um, yeah, same kind of techniques in using those different patterns and the labour of the hand carving over a variety of sort of forms. Uh, these are moving into a, um, a group of works I did for a show with Niagara Galleries. Uh, all quite large. Uh, the vertical ones are sort of around three metres high. This sort of cube is about a metre and a half by a metre or something like that. So, uh, and it's sort of venturing into some more adventurous paint finishes on the surfaces. Um, and also I was sort of, I haven't got the full set of them here but I was looking at different ideas about uh, the forms as well that this was a, a, a group of related objects that were sort of in it to a large extent about uh, migration and the ideas of, sort of moving up picking up everything and moving and, and uh, what you leave behind and the mysteries of what you're going to and you know, it's another whole conversation but, uh... oh, the, um, the yep. do you tell them closely at patterns in, in different sculptures and seeing how they're produced and then I sort of reinterpret them and uh, through drawing and through sort of um, 
trying things out in carving. Um, but yeah, they're not, no, no, not computer, I'm not sort of so interested in computer design. It's more about um, a continuum of trying to reproduce that sort of pattern that I'd seen and applying it to my own. Yeah. Has become the order of the day for so many yeah. people who work out of hiding. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I mean I guess what I'm interested in the handworking is that it's a much to me it's a more human, warmer kind of finish and by looking at the, the marks of the tools if one cared to take the time, you can kind of read quite a lot about the whole process of making from the different um, marks at different stages. Like from if, um, the like the technique will change. If I've started doing a piece like that, I will develop the technique of the carving as I go along. So it was, you, no one would ever see it, but there'd be a variation from when I started to the sort of slightly more clumsy nature of it and the, to a, a more sort of practiced hand in later stages, which to me just add, adds a richness to the, to the work that you don't always get with uh, highly fabricated things. Obviously the, the intentions in most of those cases are different, but I'm very interested in the, in the hand making, probably the only times. Um, these are kind of the little group of um, very small things based around the size of a hand and that sort of palm. Uh, again, after another trip, I'd been in rural France for a few months and I'd spent a bit of time in sort of some of the some cathedrals and uh, small museums around southern France and. Uh, and then after that I'd, I'd spent a bit of time in Cambodia and I think I was kind of struck to a certain extent by some of the recurrences in the kind of forms and patterns that uh, I'd seen. Um, so in a, in a museum in Cambodia you'd see Buddhist sculptures where the sort of the palm of the hand would be the, the, the main thing. And Relating that to the, the sort of um, Christian images of uh, hands in prayer, uh, so uh, so I was kind of thinking about the the sort of power of focusing on, on the on the hands. So, uh, I was interested in these little works, but. Uh, Yeah, these are also that post um, time in France period, looking at details from stone carvings and um, uh, you know capitals from cloister columns and things like that. Uh, similar period, quite a series of small things like that.
I'm also going to cover these um, series of mask works that were. This, these are kind of, I guess, set against the backdrop of the what was referred to at the time as the clash of cultures. So, um, so a reference to the the um, Muslim veil and. Uh, Sort of just looking at the way we in the West tended to see that as a as a barrier to um, understanding the Muslim world, I guess. Um, yeah, sometimes I was thinking about it, but um, so there's a series of the things that are covered by this sort of knitted pattern. Uh, this is quite shallow, um, probably less than five millimetres, those ones. This, that, that one's sort of... And all yeah, hand-done. Yeah, all hand-done. That, that piece is probably about uh, 70 centimetres high, 70 or 80. The, the mask is sort of the size of the head. Oh, it's a tiny one. Another hand. Um, a little knuckle forms along it. These are quite tiny, that's about 12 centimetres high or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a covered figure. Sort of probably hard to see, but partly based, the form is based on a sort of Brancusi bird. Covered in this sort of knitted pattern. This one is partly based on the, on the Rodin um, Balzac monument, which is one of my sort of favourite sculptures, but it's the sort of monumental figure that's uh, draped in a totally different way to uh, the Balzac, but also again reference to the the um, the dial. Uh, it's a large version of the previous one. This was another finalist for the Lamprey Sculpture Prize. Uh, about it's way over life sizing, about three and a half metres high. About a metre and a half across, maybe, not quite that. So that's it. It's a sort of figure with a swelling around the, the tummy area. Uh, moving on to some public works, a pair of public works I made for. Um, City of um, uh, what's it called? Around Footscray. Um, remember? <laughs> Maribel, thank you. Uh, so, this is a park along the Maribel River, sort of part of a new housing development along there. Um, so, some works that sort of respond to the idea of a river, I guess, uh, made in cast iron, uh, one at each end of a sort of um, island. Mm -hmm. Did you choose the medium as a medium? No, I chose the medium that I'm mean, just transferring my work into the public context of 
problematic to use wood for the sort of maintenance purposes of um, vandalism. So uh, for these works, I made a, the piece in wood, hand carved the wood, and then from that I had a casting cast iron. So you can still see the, the texture of the carving marks and everything. Uh, it was also a, a kind of good way to present value for money to the client as well because I was able to make one wooden piece and then have it cast twice but I changed my orientation and kind of changed the um, you know, gave it um, a second life. Yeah, generally uh, I, I, I don't have a problem with putting the wooden works outside except that um, when people buy them, they expect them to last forever, and uh, it's not all that nice. Ten years down the track, to get called and say, "Can you come and fix my sculpture?" It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with, this is the beginning of, a, of the kind of next series of work. Where, um, Evelyn mentioned before that someone talked about the reference to the rays of light. So um, this is where I started work on there. I can't remember what this one was called, but it's basically a kind of pair of binoculars that are made up of representation of rays of light carved in wood. So it was, it was the idea of them sort of uh, looking through them and they present a bright future, a sort of radiant future. Um, so yeah, they're quite small, uh, but I'm going to that pair. Uh, I think these also had, these ideas had come after spending a lot of time in um, cathedrals around southern France and um, kind of looking at the imagery that was used to provoke the feelings of awe that the um, you know, Counter-Reformation was sort of uh, interested in. Uh, this is a very small version um, called The Word Spoken Quietly. Uh, Manly Hollow, so it was about a, just trying to represent a notion of a, of a whispered word, inspirational word, um, you know, by the sort of representation of the rays of light. It's, you know, it's about a little sort of tube, cigar sort of size tube. Uh, this work was called um, uh, The Ideas Man, so it was a sort of crown, sort of hat kind of thing that was scaled to be put on the head, representing a sort of uh, inspiration and sort of rays of light uh, being used as a crown. Uh, more works from the same series, that one was. Uh, called Looking for St. Teresa in direct reference to the Benini St. Teresa. Um, small one that sort of uh, sat in the corner of a room. It's hard to read that, but um, it's not quite high up in the wall in a corner. Uh, very small work based on those rays of light about 
20, 25 centimetres high. This, this is sort of the, pretty much a representation, a, a, a marquette of the uh, work that RMIT bought for Bundura. Um, I don't normally kind of work through a process of making maquettes for larger sculptures, but in that case, I just kind of work out. These are uh, about two and a half, three metres high versions of those rays of, rays of light. Um, no, they're just a sort of white wash finish with a glossy sort of wax surface. Uh, a little piece called Waking Child, which was sort of represented the uh, uh, sort of the rays of light coming from a eyes opening, just barely opening. Uh, in this case, a uh, pair cast in uh, sterling silver from a, from a wood carving. Uh, this is a study for Man in Black One, which is the precursor of the piece in the RMIT collection. Uh, and that, that's Man in Black One as I showed it at Major Galleries. So. Uh, I can't remember the dimensions of the wall, but um, sort of five or six metres wide and about four metres high. Uh, carved in lots of uh, pieces of elm. So this was part of the same show as the, the light pieces. This was kind of a counterpoint. The downstairs are all the pieces carved with the rays of light, and upstairs in this, this room is this dark um, cloud image on the end of it. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a play on the uh, contrast between the two ideas of, of good and evil, I guess. Uh, these were commissioned following that piece for um, uh, Grand Hyatt Melbourne Hotel, a really patient off the Collins Street entrance is a series of these panels, uh, quite large. Uh, that ball, I think, is um, a metre and a half diameter, which, uh, when I was told, the, the people who were designing the said, oh, we want something about a metre and a half, maybe a skewish. I said, yeah, I can do that. And I sort of quoted it. And then I went to thinking about how to make a ball a metre and a half wide. <laughs> it's very hard work, as it turns out. <laughs> no, it's made up of a lot of uh, blocks, about 30 centimetres square. Uh, yeah, it's hollow, but it's still very, very heavy. <laughs> uh, Black and uh, Midnight Special, as shown here. Uh, yeah, and that's the uh, Man in Black 2 that you've got in the collection. Right? <laughs> 
Um, these are another commission for Highlight Horses Park Highlight Sydney. Um, pair of those works. Uh, the sort of ray of light works. Uh, coloured in a, in a dark way, that's sort of the way that the, the RMAT collection piece is. As a kind of twist on the on the on the light being bright and, and, and having that sense of uh, virtue and inspiration, the sort of calling them dark, I find gives them a slightly more sinister sort of um, feel. And I think this is my the last slide, but uh, for the I'm sorry, I apologise for the quality of the image, but the, outside the Port Cachere Park Heights, Sydney. So you can just see the background there, the two um, other pieces inside, and then through that room it is, um, looks on to um, Sydney Harbour. These are um, uh, just a couple of years ago. That's the end of the slide, so if anyone's got anything they'd like me to elaborate on. In terms of um, just um, how long it would take to make something, I don't know if you said you used a, a chainsaw, but then you're yep. talking about hand carving as well. So for something like yeah, the Man in Black, that one. talk about the process of, of making that. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, that was a lot of commission things. That it's not always about how long things you take, it's more about how long you've got to, to do it. So it was a fairly I mean, short dead time. I guess when I say long things take, yeah, I'm forcing no. the ideal process from the actual doing yeah. process. Uh, I think I... I can't remember exactly. I think it was about eight weeks or something. Um, so that, that's made up of um, a whole lot of slabs, sawn slabs about uh, 30 centimetres wide and uh, about 10 or 12 centimetres thick. So kind of assembled it all with um, uh, joined it all together with dowels and threaded rod and tied it all together to make this one big panel. Uh, which in itself is not an easy task. I think that, that took probably as long as, as the actual carving. So that, then once the panel was constructed, uh, probably a few weeks working pretty hard carving with the power tools, the chainsaw and sort of grind the disc and then uh, a few more weeks with the chisels, I'd say. It's a, a fairly fast at it now. Sorry? The circles, because that, in this work, it's extremely important. Yes. Tell us about the preparation of the The sort of texture? Yeah. yeah the well, colour. The colour. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, well, it's all surface with the sort of the curved gouges, so you sort of have that sculpt effect. And then... Um, Sort of stained in a kind of fairly painterly way, so that there is gradation of, sort of dark black to sort of redder black to sort of uh, accentuate and warm up certain areas. Um, but really, just using um, wood stains from the hardware shop mainly, um, and then a sort of beeswax stained beeswax finish to so. Um, black tinted beeswax to, to go into the, the deep areas and make those darker and give a sort of um, luster. Uh, 
well, yeah, it's good to have them all going in the same direction, but because my interest is sort of less in the high, high woodcraft area of it and more in the sort of more uh, rustic folk sort of feel, I'm not, I don't get too caught up in the in uh, making sure it's all done the right way in terms of woodcraft. As with any successful commission, I think it end, the, the design process ends up being a, a collaboration where there's a conversation about what the people who use the building are, are going to expect and what ideas I bring to that expectation. And so, did you even have discussions? Yeah, a little bit, and also a little bit with you, Suzanne. Sort of, we talked about what. Uh, from my memory, we talked a little about what we sort of felt would be. Now Peter was pretty accepting of uh, of what I was putting forward, but uh, encouraging. But um, but yeah, I think that sort of the the piece is outside the the sort of chamber, the council chamber there, which you know, has a sense of being a kind of pressure cooker room where ideas are thrashed out and. So to me, it was a kind of a, 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 a quite a powerful idea to have, have this sort of quite sort of somber, um, stormy uh, facade to that room. Mm. But also uh, the language the transition between the wood finishes yep. and the side. Yep. The absolute lack of anything warm. Yes, that's right. It's from It's also a weird kind of a, a room of slightly weird proportions and the kind of uh, transition space that's kind of large for a transition space but small for it to be a proper room. So, um, yeah, I, I'm happy with the way it worked out in that space. Um, with all your um, works, the ones I've been around and I've been to meetings in that council mm. chamber a lot. It does transform the space, and it, that gives you a sense of entrance. And I remember, especially in the 2009 show, you know, you had the, um, yeah. it was called the uh, special. midnight special, after, after the Lead Valley song. The children that would come in were constantly wanting, you know, like really energised by it. They were looking up at it underneath. They wanted to walk around and run around and, and all sorts of things. And it, it wasn't even a sense of theatricality. It was like your work had created a different energy in the space. Is that what you sort of think about how people walk around? Well, yeah, I hope to. I mean, it's... I think with, from my philosophical standpoint, with sculpture, unless you're creating something that has some effect on, on the body and changes the space in some way, you, you've sort of failed. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, you, know, you want people to get engaged bodily. Uh, the Midnight Special piece I had made for that, that particular show and the, the concept was that strong contrast between the wall, the wall of darkness and this sort of light kind of protective uh, shell. Um, but I've shown it again recently at, in a, at Lawn in the sculpture show down there in a, in a sort of waterfront setting. And it changed the reading quite a lot in, in, a, in a way that I found myself kind of encouraged and, and, and sort of surprised by. Um, it sort of really became this little house sort of sitting there looking out over the water and took on a much more comfortable feel than, it, than it, I sort of thought it had in the, in the first place. We've come to the end of our time. Are there any Already. questions? No? Thank you very much, Robert. Thanks My pleasure. Me.